at number 51 on the Spirit of Soho mural is jazz singer, surrealist art expert, critic, writer, lecturer, raconteur and wearer of excellent suits, George Melly. When I was a kid about half past three, my daddy said, son, come here to me. Things may come and things may go. There's one thing you want to know. It ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Born in Liverpool in 1926, George Melly, perhaps more than any other person in the spirit of Soho Mural, embodies that spirit. Artistic, musical, curious, clever, individual, gregarious, open-minded and welcoming of others. George spent some time in the Navy during the Second World War, a period which he documented in explicit and hilarious detail in some of his writing, and then began to move into the surrealist art and jazz scenes in London. It's for his jazz singing that he was best known to the public, and it's said anecdotally that he got his big break in this area by crashing the stage and grabbing the mic during a gig one night when the band leader, Humphrey Littleton, was playing a trumpet solo. He was able to do this because it was well known that Littleton always played with his eyes closed, so George's arrival would go unnoticed. Although that's probably the only time that George Melly's arrival went unnoticed. Gary Yershon is, as well as being the nicest man in the world, an Oscar-nominated film composer, and he worked with George Melly back in the late 1980s on an animated TV series called Painted Tales. On a day that never quite followed through with its threat to provide torrential rain, I met up with Gary in the churchyard of St Anne's on Wardour Street to hear about his time working with the Soho legend, George Melly. It was a, a cartoon series at the end of the 1980s. It was just preparing it at the end of the 1980s. There, was a, there is a, still a cartoon company called The Canning Factory, which is run by a, a friend of mine called Kate Canning. And she'd had a run of success with children's cartoon series. And she, she got the then quite new Channel 4 to get behind this idea of... Uh, mysterious goings-on in an art gallery. And um, because George Melly was very associated with art and with art criticism and appreciation, Kate took a punt on asking George to participate and to her absolute astonishment, he said yes. He was asked to, to voice this resident rat in which uh, lived in the art gallery and came out after hours. And every week you went into the imaginative world of the painting. And um, George was also, of course, famously a, a jazz singer. So the idea was that there'd be a song every week somehow emerging from the style of the painting. And um, George and the, the other actor in the series was Orwin Taylor, a wonderful actress who uh, was also a brilliant singer. And um, I wrote songs for the pair of them and co-wrote the script and it was all with Kate and it was all great, you know. Channel 4 put it on and nobody took any notice of it and it completely disappeared and I looked into trying to get archive of it but nothing exists anymore really which is a shame because the George singing the songs was really great. There's nothing on YouTube or anything like that? No, I don't know, it just disappeared. That's a shame. 
Yeah. And how did you find working with George? Oh, he was a gas, you know, very professional. He was, by this time in his life, I mean, he was born in 1926. Yeah. And um, so in his 60s, he'd been through quite a bit and he was beginning to go a bit deaf, about which he was completely up front. Oh, hang on. <laughs> One of the perils of a recording in a churchyard. That's great. Oh, it's only three o'clock. That's okay then. Do you want to pick up or? I think we'll include that. Oh, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was born in 1926, and um, so he's already, you know, he's about the age I am now. Um, I do not believe that. It is, and, uh, it is true. It cannot be true. I don't know that I look any better now than George did then, but I, he, he was a natty dresser, and he came to the studio, which was just off the Euston Road, with pinstripe, wide, wide lapel suits that came straight out of Damon Runyon and Guys and Dolls, you know, so colourful and with a classy hat and he came in and he'd learnt the songs I sent him the songs on cassette that now nostalgic technology that people are coming back to I understand yeah apparently so yeah which I think is crazy because I I find the sound of it very hissy and the the only remnant I've got of the of George singing these songs is is on cassette and I don't know where the original tapes are I don't think Kate does either he was very nice to work with and he, he learnt all the songs and contributed to them in his own particular way. And he sounds great. Just listening to him through the hiss of the cassettes, you can hear what a terrific artist he was. We did, you know, I did 13 songs, so I think we, we may have done a couple of sessions with two songs, but mostly we did a song a week. Right. So I worked with him over a couple of months, three months. Do you know much about his early life? Are you able to talk about that much? He, he didn't, but his his early life was already kind of public property because by this time he'd he'd written at least two of his volumes of autobiography, and the famous one is Rum, Bum and Concertina. Yeah. <laughs> what could that be about? It's um, good old naval slang, apparently, but he... I suppose if you were going to think about anybody, he was a bit Oscar Wilde-ish in the sense that he was very much his own creation because he's a Liverpool guy, you know. You know, 100 years after, in fact, it's less than that, isn't it? But say 75 years after Oscar Wilde, you could be your own creation in London and nobody was going to get in your way. I mean, he's, he's kind of a Soho figure because he, he performed at Ronnie Scott's and the 100 Club yeah. and everything. But I think also his attitude is very Soho. You know, sexually liberated, non-judgmental, all those kind of things that are what Soho is about. And it's been like that for decades. And George seemed to kind of fit straight into that. During the war and in the 50s, he was, he was openly gay, wasn't he? At a time when it was illegal. Do you know how he, how he got away with that? No, I don't. But I do know that, um, I think in the Navy anyway, I think that's partly the point of the, the book and the title of it. Nobody gave a damn, you know. Um, and that's true, that's, that's not a cliche, because you do this the L.O. Sailor business, don't you? I, I didn't know if it was a sort of Dick Emery creation or... But it sounds like it's, according to that book, it just seems to be standard practice, you know. I think when people are, whatever gender, together, enforced, there's an enforcement, you know, prisons are another famous example. The kind of lines that demarcate things between people become more fluid just because of circumstances. And in a way, that shows you the potential of fluidity for all of us. 
maybe if we were all in those kinds of situations, we would uh, let some of our guards and straight lines and fences down. I mean, it's these days where there is something which is a kind of recognised choice. Uh, you you can live a gay life. I mean that that didn't exist, but one mustn't mistake the possibility of people having all kinds of relationships just because that didn't exist, because they did. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't easy to live an open life. So they came down here, I guess. Yeah, and then he ended up being... Um, he, had a, he then had an open marriage. Well, he had two marriages, didn't he? And the second one with Diana was an open marriage, and they both had affairs with the people and that kind of thing. You know, completely open about it with each other. And that just seems to be so ahead of its time, you know. I, I mean, that's before the 60s free love revolution. They were just doing it, you know. Yeah. I think he he just got his priorities right, really. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 knew, he knew what love was. And he knew he obviously loved Diana, who he met, who was delightful, you know. But he knew where the centre of his life was. Nothing ever got out of hand. Oh, he also wrote the screenplay for a Soho film called Smashing Time. Going down to London, going down to London, we're going to have a smashing time. Going down to London, going down to London, we're going to have a smashing time. We're going to find a... In Redgrave and Richard Tushingham. Yeah. yeah. They were all having a go then. But he, he was just a permanent presence, wasn't he? I mean... You could be relied upon to be entertaining on the telly. Um, I remember seeing him on, always on Parkinson and Russell Harty and Wogan and those sort of shows in the 70s and 80s. And I didn't really, as a kid, I didn't really know what he was famous for. I thought it was just a guy who turned up. I thought it was like a P- Peter Eustonoff. They are quite similar in some way. They are. They? I mean, good at a lot of things. Yeah, and very, Yeah, and very entertaining. And kind of, they share a kind of cool... They seem to stand back from the events they're describing and, and observe them. George just looked at things. His book, the first book of his I wrote, he wrote right at the end of the 60s, called Revolt into Style. And it was having a look at the successive waves of fashion in music and, you know, wear, clothes and stuff and art, and just trying to identify what, where it was all coming from and it, it's really, I was looking at it again in prep for this, and he, he was fascinating, really, talking about the, the Beatles and their, and their music. And Was he a fan of the Beatles? Yeah, I think he was. And a fan of the 60s in he, general? He was watching it happen, he was thriving in it. And, um, I mean, that film script probably is a very good example of that. He was thriving in the atmosphere, because it was completely... It caught up with him. Totally. Life, life had caught up with George. I think um, George's place on that mural is very well earned. As you said, he's very much in the spirit of Soho and the that kind of Carnaby Street era of Soho and the Ronnie Scott's era of Soho, very different, but they're happening at the same time. The kind of establishment club era of Soho. I mean, George was all over that. He was right in the centre of it. So I'm very glad he's up there on the corner of Broadwood Street. 